Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, I'm Matthew Wolf, and you're listening to my podcast. This podcast is the best bit from my weekly radio show on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3 till 4. What you're listening to is taken from live radio, but this is a podcast, which means it is obviously not live. So please do not try and get in contact with any of the live details you may hear me mention throughout the show, as your messages will not be received, but you may still be charged. All of our terms and conditions for getting involved can be found on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. Also, as this is a podcast, some of the information we give about news stories may have been updated or changed since our broadcast went live. The information in this podcast is accurate and correct as of the time the radio show was originally broadcast, but might not now be accurate. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss the live radio show every Sunday from three till four, where you can get in touch live. Hello and welcome to the podcast. As always, we've got two topics coming up. For the first topic, we're talking about whether private companies have any role in government. This comes about as photos of measly food packages provided by the private company Chartwells were shared around social media this week. We broadened the question and thought, is there ever room for private companies in aspects of government or should it all be publicly run? I spoke to my friend Lucy about the various different industries that can benefit or suffer from privatisation. Later in the show, I ask all of you what you think will happen at Joe Biden's inauguration. Will it be overshadowed by more violence and protests or will it be an opportunity for him to put across his hopes and dreams for the next four years? Welcome to Wizard Radio. I'm Matthew Wolf for the next hour, and at this time every single Sunday, I'll be discussing your thoughts on the biggest current affairs and political stories of the week gone by. Today, our main topic focuses on the role of private businesses in governance. After disgraceful images of free school meal packages provided by a private catering company were shared around the internet this week, I want to know more generally if you feel that private companies have any role in governance. And for our second topic, I want to know how you feel ahead of Joe Biden's inauguration on Wednesday. Are you excited? And do you think he'll be able to get across a sense of hope for the United States? Contact us. You can tweet us or DM us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Wiz Radio. Text us at no extra cost. Only standard network rate supply on 07807183538. Email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. And all of our contact details are on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. 
Good afternoon. This week, free school meals were yet again in the news as photos of measly food parcels provided by the private company Chartwells to families on low incomes were shared online, with numerous photos demonstrating that the content was worth far less than the £30 it was meant to include. From the many photos shared, it is clear that there was not enough food present to feed a child for a week. In response, the company replied, Thank you for bringing this to our attention. This does not reflect the, specif the specification of one of our hampers. Please can you DM us the details of the school that your child attends and we will investigate immediately. They have now agreed to refund schools for parcels which did not meet and they quote their usual high standards. Here is the parent who first shared her child's, me her child's meal package telling BBC News how she felt upon opening it. As I unpacked that food parcel in my living room, and looked at the contents, it felt very sad and very depressing. And one of my children came in and saw me laying this out on the floor and asked why. And I said I was going to picture it because I didn't think it looked like a lot. And I could see the child's realisation that this is what I've been given to eat for a week and just the sense of sadness. Where has the rest of the food gone? You know, this is meant to be a week's food. Why is it so mean? Controversy arising from this government's use of private companies is not new this year. And in fact, we have discussed it on this show just a few weeks ago, as one of our listeners contacted me to express their anger at the government's use of Serco to run the two billion pounds track and twenty two billion pounds track and trace programme. Privatisation does not end there, with prisons being privatised more and more over the last twenty years, and criticisms growing as riots have increased in frequency. More generally, the idea of privatising a public service is traditionally a conservative idea, one pursued vigorously by Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s, although Tony Blair's Labour government also supported privatisation of the prison system. Proponents of the policy argue that privatisation is positive as it takes the burden of maintaining an industry or service away from the taxpayer and that competition between businesses drives up standards they may point to the failure of, of the rail network when it was fully public and argue that the privatisation has increased the quality of service. However, others would use the example of prisons, track and trace and others to say that what privatisation really does is lead to industries to become motivated by profit and not by public interest, resulting in standards going down as efficiency is pursued above all. On today's show, I want to discuss more generally whether you think privatisation can work in any capacity, and if so, to what extent? Has the UK government's failure been because of their choice of the private company or because they're using private companies in the first place? Let me know. As always, you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Wiz Radio. Text us at no extra cost, only standard network rates apply on 07807 Email us, station, at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our details are on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. And last week, we discussed the events that occurred in Washington, D.C. as Congress certified Joe Biden's presidency. But today, I want to finish the show by asking you what you're expecting from the inauguration day itself. Police and security services are, of course, on high, high alert. But do you think 
that being ready will prevent anything similar to the events at the Capitol repeating themselves. Here is cybersecurity expert Tara Lemieux telling Sky News about the grave concerns she has based on her work of tracking potential suspects. How would you characterise the individuals that you're seeing talking about these events? Now we're seeing that the person that you pass in the street could likely be a domestic terrorist. And to me, that's frightening. I believe that there, the, the, the momentum that we saw at the 6th in our capital will be amplified for the 20th of January. Um, I'm fearful that they will be using improvised um, devices that can be easily concealed. I also want to know if you feel that Joe Biden will be able to do what the inauguration is there for him to do. Will he be able to galvanise his supporters and the wider nation and create a tone of excitement around his new presidency, even without the usual teeming crowds? Will he be able to convey the message of hope that the Democrats are so keen to push? Or will the armed guards and lack of crowd due to the pandemic cast a shadow over the occasion and act as a reminder of the dire situation that Biden will inherit? For the final time before our first break, you can contact us in loads of different ways. On Instagram and Twitter, we're at Wiz Radio. Text us at no extra cost, only standard network rate supply on 07807 183538. Email us, station at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our contact details are on our website www.wizardradio.co.uk so as i said um we're getting a song on now and after that we'll be discussing all of your thoughts on this very general question of should private businesses have any role in government but as i said our song's on now it's the kid Leroy without you Welcome back to Wizard Radio. That was the Kid Leroy and without you. So before the first break and that song, I asked you the big question of if private businesses should have any role in governance. And um, I asked for your thoughts. And this is all based on um, the scandal this week of Chartwells, the private catering company providing free school meals that looked far less, um, looked to be worth far less the value that the government were meant to have paid for them. And it produced another scandal. We've seen many of them this year. Um, with private companies that have provided a service that has been subpar to what's been expected. So more generally, uh, I wanted to see what you thought about whether private businesses should have any role in governance. And um, I've got Lucy on the line now, and you'll, rec- you'll um, recognise Lucy. She's been on the show um, two or three times before. And um, I'm going to ask Lucy some questions about how how she feels about um, private businesses getting involved in government. So how are you, Lucy? I'm great. Thanks, Matthew. Big fan of the show. How are you? I'm really good. Um, Thanks for coming on again. So in the intro, we listed a lot of examples of how private businesses and their role in government this year has been quite negative. And um, I don't don't think many people would dispute the fact that it hasn't been a success this year. But more generally, um, you've got a few examples of where this policy has perhaps been a success. So Do you want to just start by giving me a few of those examples and what it was that really made, in your opinion, um, the privatisation of those industries successful? Yeah, sure. So I think it's really easy after a few of these really high profile failures to kind of dismiss any form of government outsourcing or privatisation, because ultimately the failures are what gets reported in the media, but the, the successes aren't quite as advertised. 
Um, and I kind of want to draw attention to not necessarily full privatizations, but, but forms of outsourcing. And it's the outsourcing that happens in a in a kind of really mundane way. And it's, it's the outsourcing that's not really advertised either by the government or the media. And that is the outsourcing of, of everyday services like councils who've outsourced cleaning or waste collection. So um, and that's been successful because local councils don't really have the resources to set up cleaning companies or waste collection companies themselves. Um, and they kind of rely on external companies to come in and do that. And that's just a matter of logistics. Similarly, you have the example of IT. So I think government is quite notoriously bad at using IT systems. So it's a lot simpler and a lot more efficient just to bring in an external company to deal with that sort of thing. So um, when it's kind of a matter of life or death, like the Circo Track and Trace system or free school meals, I think it's been quite clear, and I don't think anyone can dispute that the privatization or outsourcing has been a complete failure. But if you look at these mundane, everyday things like collecting the bins, it was so much more efficient for the government to bring in an outside company than to set up the whole thing itself. And I think there's been quite a few cases, even so, even in Barnet Council, I think they outsourced their IT systems and there was a review after 2016. Um, and it had, was generally decided that it had been a huge success because there were savings of about £30 million and there was generally quite high satisfaction in the community. So I'm just sort of, I'm not going to defend these big privatisations or outsourcing that have clearly been a failure, but I do want to draw attention to these small success stories. Um, so one other thing that we haven't really mentioned so far is that when, when people talk about privatisation in the British government, the thing that always gets brought up is the NHS. And you spoke there in your answer about how small mundane things um, can be privatised and that, ha that can in itself be beneficial. And we know that that's happened a lot in the NHS with, um, with cleaning services, with lots of different um, more mundane things in the NHS being um, outsourced to private companies. But we know, of course, that that could be quite a slippery slope um, with the whole with what it could lead to and um, the threat it could place the NHS under. So um, especially when it comes to things like healthcare, where efficiency isn't always the most important thing. Um, do you think it is a slippery slope and where do you think this outsourcing should really end? Well, I think rightfully people get very protective over any idea of, of privatising the NHS. Um, but let's not forget that what people really care about is that the provision of healthcare is always free at the point of use. That is the principle of the NHS. So for me personally, I don't see a huge issue with things like the privatising of cleaning services within the NHS. And let's not forget, it was it was a Labour government under Tony Blair that introduced that. So I think the reason I'm going to say that it's not a slippery slope is that we have to have trust that the public outcry would be so large if we actually started privatising um, huge parts of healthcare. It would be such an outcry that I don't think any government would ever dare to do something like that. But I, I do think actually that the that outsourcing of the kind of cleaning and introducing the PFIs may have been a positive thing. Um, but we've got to trust that people are very protective over the NHS. And that, that means that politicians really don't have don't have the political power to be able to change that. So, um, yeah, I really like that idea that um, the public will is enough to protect the NHS, but we'll let our listeners decide whether they agree with you or not, but it's a very interesting point. But I'm gonna zoom out even further now and just say, from like a moral point of view, 
are there certain things, certain industries where no one should be profiting out of that industry? I'm, th I'm thinking more specifically now about prisons. And um, is it morally right, in your opinion, that anyone should really be profiting off those kind of um, those kind of services? Because we know, of course, it's a scandal in the UK, but there's been many documentaries about how how terrible um, the incarceration rates is in America right now. Many people are calling that the private organisations in America um, almost parasitic uh, as they make money off the high incarceration rates. And do you think that even if they do a more efficient job, certain industries should not be left to people making money? Well, that's an interesting question because because it's obviously a private company, whenever they get involved, they get involved for a profit motive. They get involved to make profit. And I will actually say that I think on the subject of prisons, because of how, especially in America, um, just because of how horrific we've seen the prison system be in America, I would say that might be an area Again, it's, it's one of those huge high profile areas that are really the difference between life and death and have a really big, significant impact on quality of life. I would say maybe that is an area where private companies do have to stay out. Because, again, if you look, if I come back to the UK and you look at free school meals, everyone finds the idea of a private company profiting off giving children half a carrot wrapped up or half a pepper. I find that pretty abhorrent. And I'm sure that that most people listening today today will as well so i think yes there are just some areas where private companies shouldn't get involved because we also have to remember that over the years and over time um the public sector has got more efficient at delivering services because it's because it's had this competition from the private sector so maybe prisons is somewhere that we shouldn't keep looking to privatize and just finally now um one of the biggest points that's put forward by proponents of privatization is that it will save you the taxpayer money because you won't have to fund these services. And do you think that that is really a strong enough point to um, justify lots of these, the, the privatization of lots of these industries? Well, some of them perhaps, but also what, what are we paying tax for? We're paying tax so that governments can deliver some of these essential services. And I think people would probably be happier knowing that they're, taxpayer money was going towards giving children free school meals than knowing that a government contract had been given out and that governments were paying companies to, to profit off free school meals. So um, I don't think people would dispute that their tax is being used for something good if it was being used for free school meals or, or to make prison or for prison reform to make prisons better. Thanks for joining me, Lucy. Thank you, Matthew. So Lucy there, um talking about both the benefits, but also the potential harm of uh, privatization of the privatization of many different industries. And I think what she really put across uh, brilliantly there is that it's not one view uh, in general. I think that different industries should have um, different responses and different um, different policies based on how that in industry works individually. But that's just my opinion uh, based on what Lucy said and um, based on the research I've done. But now I think it's time to hear your opinion. And um, we've got one straight away here from Chris, who's got in touch to say private companies should not have any role in government. Government and business are completely opposed to each other. If you think about it, government is about caring for the people. It's about making sure that the public public have what they need to be able to live. Companies and private businesses are not about that at all. They're about profit. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that private businesses should only be about profit because we live in a capitalist society. 
That's how things are wired. For a government to offload their responsibilities to a private company, that literally is not the benefit of the is not in the benefit of the public because the private company will never care about the public in the way the government is meant to. Well, Chris, you've really zoomed in on the whole um, zoomed on the whole like morality point, the idea that um, it's about who who's got what kind of interests at heart, and you've kind of uh, come up with the idea that um, private companies do not have the public interest at heart. And I would say that to an extent, you can't really argue with that. Their job is to make profit, to benefit their shareholders or whoever else has an interest in uh, in the company. And whereas the government's main interest is meant to be serving the people. We know, of course, in lots of cases, this isn't always the case, but that is the government's role to benefit the people. That's who elect them, after all. And uh, that's their role. So this kind of conflict of interest is a really interesting point. But one thing I would I would just like to to raise to counter your, your text there is that private companies know that whilst they're not directly, their purpose isn't directly to help the public, they know that if the government, if, if they fail at their role substantially and the government do care about people, then the government will move off them and they'll lose their money. So it is in their industry, it is in their interest to provide the best service possible uh, in order to maintain those contracts. Theoretically, at least, whether that's actually the case in practice uh, depends on the company, I think, and also depends on the government's level of tolerance with that company, whether they're willing to put up with certain levels of, uh, of failure from that company if um, they think it's cheap or whether they are more intent on making sure the public receive the best service possible. So I think that's a really interesting point you've raised there, Chris, and I hope I've kind of addressed some of those, those points. So, yeah, thanks for getting in touch. Uh, we've got another text here from Alana, who says, I think there is a place for private business in the government because the government can't be expected to do everything themselves. They need private businesses that are experts in their specific areas to do certain things. I know this is a controversial example, but even though it was a huge failure, I think it was right for track and trace to be outsourced rather than for the government to do it themselves because the government are not IT experts and they do not have the skills or experience to set up hugely complicated track and trace systems. Now it turns out that Serco didn't either, but it doesn't mean it would have been better if the government did it themselves. I think there is a space for private businesses, for private businesses where it makes sense. Thank you, Alana. And that's a really interesting point and one that I think is the main, um, the, the real main argument in favor of privatization, that the idea that the government are not experts in everything while they may pretend to be sometimes, they are not experts in every single industry and in, every, 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 in everything. Therefore, it may be clever for the government and almost humble of a government to say, we're not experts at this, we're gonna give it to the people that are. However, where the issue has arisen is the idea that the government are not necessarily giving these contracts to the best people for the job. They're giving it to the people who they've got interest in or their friends have interest in. And there's a huge scandal about the fact that Boris Johnson has some high profile friends, uh, some some friends who are high profile members of Circo. And those reports, of course, have not been confirmed or denied. So we can't spread it as if it's fact. But it's definitely an idea that's happened in previous governments. And it's an idea that has happened in many countries that have had deep corruption issues. The idea that you're going to give the contracts to the people who um, who you're friends with rather than the people who are best for the job. But I do think that the general idea 
that um, someone who's an expert at something can take over for the government is a really, really important one because the government do not have the best uh, the best minds in the world. Maybe may, maybe they did. Maybe some of the best minds in the world are in the government. But when it comes down to it, the cleverest people in the country, if they get offered a contract at Google and they get offered a contract at the government and the contract at Google is worth three times as much, we know where they're going to go. And um, it may be in the government's interest to then use uh, that, com- that, that company, whether it be Google, that's an arbitrary example, or any other company, to then provide the service as that company has got the best people providing the service, because what should really matter to the government isn't the the, the philosophical ideas of whether they want to privatise everything or make everything public. What should really matter to a government is the pragmatic view that we want the best thing for the people in our country. And whether that means lots of things are public or whether it means lots of things are private. I personally think that the government needs to take an approach where they look at individual industries and they look at the success and failures of those industries that are either private or public in other companies, in other countries and say, well, it works there. It doesn't work there. What are they doing? How are they privatizing it? Which companies are they using? And take examples from elsewhere to see what will be best for the people that they serve, because ultimately that is the aim of the government to provide that best service. And I think that that's something that, that should be held central to um, in, in their mind. And if, if they get away from that, then we're really, we're really approaching some issues. So I think that's a really interesting text there, Alana. I think it's a good place to take another break. Uh, the song on now is Ashniko, Deal With It, featuring Kelly. <laughs> Welcome back to Wizard Radio. I'm Matthew Wolf, and the topics we've been discussing so far on the show are the question of if private businesses have any role in governance. We've had loads of texts in so far discussing a wide range of points, uh, both for and against the idea. And um, I just want to remind you that later in the show, we'll also be talking about Joe Biden's inauguration day in America. But um, back to that first topic, we've had loads of great texts in, and we've got another one here from Jack, who says, looking at this food parcels example, He's talking there about um, the example we mentioned in our introduction about how the food parcels provided to children in England by a private company, Chartwells, were, uh, well, they were they were embarrassing, really. They were worth far less than the £30 they, that the government paid for them. And um, they were shared online as not nearly enough to feed to feed a child for a week as they were meant to. So that's what Jack's referring to there. So he says, looking at this food parcel example, how difficult would it have been for the government to do that themselves? I agree that there are some things the government shouldn't do and should be outsourced. But free school meals, buy a load of boxes, get a load of volunteers, connect with suppliers and the guy and guy the food and buy the food, sorry, at the bulk cost and then send them out. That doesn't feel like a particularly difficult thing for the government to have done properly themselves. Bringing on a company like Chartwells, they want to make money from it. And they have to pay more people, more people. It's not the most efficient way to do it. Well, Jack, I'm, I have to say, I think you've absolutely nailed it on the head there. You agree with me and you've repeated something that Lucy brought up earlier. The idea that for certain things, it is appropriate for the government to outsource it. If they don't have the expertise, if it's something really specific like uh, computer technology or something else that involves um, people that the government just simply don't have. 
then it may be appropriate for the government to outsource uh, to outsource the service. But I think in something as simple as this to manage, I personally think that it's just laziness from the government for not taking it on themselves. You've listed a whole whole host of ways they could do it very easily by uh, connecting with suppliers, getting volunteers on, uh, buying in bulk, all of these things that are very, very basic that the government could have done. And that way, the government couldn't have turned around and said, after the scandal with Chartwells, that's disgusting, we'll be having a world with Chartwells. They would have had to say, it's on us. And then they can be heard, held, sorry, heard, they can be held directly accountable for their actions. If the government did it themselves, whether it's a success or failure, they can be held accountable. And more importantly, it really shouldn't be a failure. If the government actually cared about what was going on, they could have taken it on themselves and said, this isn't a complicated thing to do. There's perhaps nothing more important right now in the UK than making sure kids don't go hungry, especially with the added poverty that the coronavirus has brought upon people. So they surely should have said, this is very important. We're going to make sure it's done correctly. And that way, the whole situation that has been shared this week would not have occurred. That, that's just what I think. I think that they really could have done more to ensure that this wasn't the case. So, yeah, thanks for getting in touch there, Jack. I think you've hit the nail on the head there and you're spot on with that text. Um, I'm moving on now to another one from Amy, who says, I don't think this free school meal situation is a case for private businesses having no role in government, because in my opinion, Chartwells was the right company to fulfill this contract. They just did it the wrong way. Chartwells is owned by Compass Group, which is the largest catering company in the world, working across 45 countries with 600,000 employees. If you need to fulfill free school meals to thousands of families across the UK, going with the largest catering company in the world is probably the right choice. This might be controversial to say, but I do not think this is the government's fault because anyone in their right mind would have chosen Chartwells. This is just Chartwells doing the job wrong. Well, Amy, first of all, thank you um, for your text. And you brought up an interesting point there that I actually didn't come across when researching this show, the idea that Chartwells isn't some small company the government plucked out of nowhere. They're owned by, as you say, uh, Compass Group, which is the largest catering company in the world. And um, that's a really interesting point. You talk about how big they are. And if it's true, it perhaps mitigates the government's responsibility slightly because you could say at least they put the best people in charge that they could have done. But I'm sorry, I, I have to disagree with you and say that in cases like this, I think the only thing that matters is the outcome. It's like a it's like a football match where one team will dominate the game, the other team wins. And all that matters is the team that goes on to the next round. And I think that it's completely the case here. The only thing that matters is that kids were not provided the right amount of food. And who was responsible for that? The government. It was their decision to hire, uh, outsource and hire Chartwells for this role. And the fact that Chartwells failed, I think that as well as being a failure on their part, is a failure on the government's part. Because yes, you could say that they expected Chartwells to do a better job. But for something as simple as this, surely, as we heard from, from Jack in the last text, surely the government can say, we're not going to take any risks. There's nothing more important than this. We're going to do it ourselves and we're going to do it well. Surely. That's just what I'm thinking here, because yes, maybe it mitigates their responsibility slightly by a tiny fraction by um, hiring a company that's got a good track record. But really, the outcome's all that matters here. And the fact that kids went, went hungry 
is um is the outcome and that that should not be um not be forgotten in this the fact that the real victims of this are not chartwells who've got bad publicity and not the government who've got more criticism the real victim of this are the are the families that were provided those measly food packages so yeah thanks for getting in touch that amy and you raise an interesting point and i thank you for bringing us that extra bit of information about chartwells but um i do disagree with you i think you um I disagree with you, and I think that the government really should have made sure that the outcome was what was expected of them. So, yeah, thanks for getting in touch there. Um, I'm going to move on now to a text from Lewis, who says, My problem with private companies doing jobs for the government is that they are greedy. You have seen all of the news stories with how big these contracts the government are handing out are. Millions of pounds in procurement contracts for PPE, food packages, track and trace, and all of those contracts profit margin for the company obviously how much money must our government waste every year in basically helping private companies make a profit taxpayer money shouldn't be spent in helping private companies profit it should be spent delivering vital services at cost for example with the government's ppe contracts they could have just hired someone to procure ppe and pay them a salary rather than bumping up a private company's profit by going down the route they did well, Lewis, I understand completely where you're coming from. Private companies are motivated by profit and it's up to the government to decide whether they want an entity that is motivated by profit to be in charge of something that they're providing for the public. It's up to the government and um, I have to say that I think it isn't as cut and paste as you maybe make it out. I do think that there are certain situations when private companies can benefit um the outcome for the public and i think those those situations are perhaps ones where the government needs specific expertise that they don't have and um situations where um the company is something complicated that the government couldn't do themselves not like what we've seen with the free school meals because that is something as i said repeatedly that was simple to do and the government could have done themselves but i do understand what you're i've gone off a bit of a tangent from your message but i understand what you're saying the idea that Companies who are motivated by profit should not be in charge of a service that's meant for the public. And I morally, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, thanks for getting in touch there, Lewis. I'm going to move on now to Alex, who's got the privilege of being the final message on this topic of if private businesses have any role in governance. And Alex says, how many times have we had this conversation since Boris Johnson became prime minister? This shouldn't be a debate over if private companies should deliver governance, government services. It should be a conversation about why Boris is so obsessed with giving his friends big government contracts so that after he is no longer prime minister, he can earn a load of money working for one of them. Other prime ministers have been successful when working with private businesses. Why is it only Boris Johnson who seems to struggle? He's the greedy one. Well, Alex, you raised a point that I brought up in my intro, but we haven't really discussed so far across the first 40 minutes of the show. The idea that maybe it isn't. The, maybe the problem isn't privatisation itself. Maybe the problem is who the government are getting to do these services, who they're privatising with. And, well, the idea that Serco um, have Boris Johnson's got friends high up at Serco is something that I mentioned earlier. Um, obviously, he's denied it and it can't be put across as fact. But I think that um, the failure in the failure by these private companies whether 
they're friends of Boris Johnson or not should be an indictment on Boris Johnson's leadership. Whether they're his friends or not, the fact that he consistently chooses companies that do a bad job indicates to me at least that he's not very good at choosing them. And I think that that's a, a big flaw. And what I'd say to that is if you're not good enough at choosing companies to do it for you, do it yourself and make sure the government do these services. So that's that's what I'd say. I think that's a good way to kind of end this topic. The idea that what matters most, I'll just reiterate this, in my opinion, isn't whether it's private, isn't whether it's public, it's the service that the public receive. And I think that's um, really a good, a quite a succinct way for all of you getting to summarise all the, the texts we've had uh, so far from you, Alex, from everyone else that's got in touch. The idea that it doesn't necessarily be need to be such a black and white thing about whether you support or oppose privatisation. I think it depends on the service, it depends on the company, and it depends on the people running the government. So once again, thank you for getting in touch on that message. But the show's not over yet. After our third song, we'll be discussing Joe Biden's inauguration, which happens on Wednesday next week. So I want to hear all your thoughts about what you're expecting from that day, whether the threat of violence will overshadow it or whether he'll be able to put across a message of hope. So, yeah, get in touch on that after the break. But right now we're getting our third song of the hour on. It's Tate McRae, Are You OK? That was Tate McRae and Are You OK? So welcome back to Wizard Radio. I'm Matthew Wolfe. We're moving on to our second topic of the hour right now. And the question is, what are you expecting for Inauguration Day in America? Are you expecting the threat of violence and um, more protests to loom over the, the ceremony? Are you expecting scenes like you saw at the Capitol last week? Or are you expecting Joe Biden to be able to convey a message of hope that will perhaps inspire people or at least provide a bit of reassurance that, the next four years in, of the next four years in America will perhaps be better than what we've seen in the last few months. So that's what I asked you at the start of the show. And we've got some texts in here. And um, one of them is from Robbie, who says, I think it is smart for security experts in America to be nervous about there being some sort of attack or riot on Wednesday. Politics in America right now is so deeply personal. The people who don't like Joe Biden don't just not like his policies. They think, he, they think he is an inherently evil person, much like how Democrats thought Trump was an evil person. If you look at what the right say about Biden, they call him a paedophile, a sex pest. They have conspiracy theories. That is going to come out in an ugly way on Inauguration Day. And I wouldn't be surprised if the extreme Republicans try one last time to stop Joe Biden from being sworn in. Because it means so much more to them than just politics. Well, Robbie, I think... You raise an interesting point and one that is concerning to lots of people, the idea that it's not just that people are Republican supporters who oppose the fact that a Democrat is becoming president. It's the idea that this has got so much, that the hatred has got so much deeper, inspired by Trump and by his egging on of the people who were storming the Capitol last week and egged on by people on both sides who are just stirring vitriol online. And I think that it's got to a point with the disgusting and very, very scary conspiracy theories on websites such as or, or, like or on the, the QAnon conspiracy on whatever website that's on. And um, all of these other really dangerous conspiracy theories that people may have a year or two ago thought, oh, it's just a few idiots online. 
they've now translated into real life danger. And as we heard from our security expert, um, Tara Lemieux in the introduction about 40 minutes ago now, um, there is a real life concern. And we saw that at the Capitol last week. And um, some people are expecting to see that again. Obviously, um, we're hoping it isn't the case. And the fact that the we're hoping that the added security will result in a smooth transition of power. Donald Trump's made it very difficult for a smooth transition of power. Um, unlike nearly every other president, Joe Biden will not have most of his staff move in on day one because Trump has not made it easy for him. But he is vacating. Uh, moving boxes and moving vans are present at the White House and Joe Biden will become president. It's just about from 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 here on, I'm going to say this. I think that Donald Trump's actions will contribute a lot to how... Um, will contribute a lot to how people act at the inauguration. He's got a responsibility to um, not stir up any more anger. And he's off social media now. He's been banned. And maybe that will uh, prevent, maybe that will prevent um, the violence from being kicked up another notch. But maybe people are already too far gone and they're already, they've already got violence in their mind. We know that we heard on the news earlier that um, US police have arrested um, a man with fake inaugural credentials a loaded handgun and more than 500 rounds of ammunition as he tried to get through a checkpoint in Washington, D.C. So we do know that people are trying stuff and we just have to hope that the added security will be enough to make this a day that can be remembered for positive reasons, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, that there was a, a peaceful democratic transition of power. Um, so that's what I'd just say. Um, but we're moving on now to another text here from Zoe, who says, I hope that Inauguration Day will finally be a day of happiness for the Democrats because we really deserve it. The majority of the country, and she says, brackets, the majority being Democrats, have had this tyrant leader, Donald Trump, as president for the past four years. And it's been, it has been a very long four years. Now we finally control. While that president we all dislike is getting impeached. I don't know what's going to happen on the ground and at the event. But I just hope that it has some lightness and it can finally be a positive moment in America for the Democrats. Well, Zoe, um, obviously, you've got very strong opinions. And um, for people like you who are strong supporters of the Democratic Party, I completely understand that it's a day of celebration and it should be a day of celebration. It was a day of celebration for Trump when he uh, was inaugurated in, 26, in 2016. And um, it should be a day of celebration for the Democrats now that they've got their guy elected. That's what Inauguration Day is meant to be. There's parades, there's uh, massive crowds. Obviously, that will not be the case this year due to the coronavirus. But that's what Inauguration Day is meant for, for celebrations from the victors. And in most cases in US history, the people who are transitioning the power have been gracious and have graciously transitioned the power and said, we lost this election. It was a democratic election. We're going to pass over the keys to the White House. And that has not been the case with Donald Trump. Um, for weeks and weeks, we hypothesised about what would happen if he did lose. And I was wrong. I said it would be a trans uh, peaceful transition. Uh, lots of you said it wouldn't. And I was wrong. And we just have to hope that it doesn't get any worse from here on. And you're, Zoe, very um, optimistic from a democratic point of view that it will not get worse, the, the violence at least. And Joe Biden will be able to um, celebrate his inauguration as... Um, as president and a day that him and many other democratic supporters have been looking forward to for a very long time. So yeah, thanks for getting in touch there, Zoe. And you really 
convey quite well the, the how Democrats like you are feeling ahead of this day. And you're clearly not too alarmed by um, the violence last week. And you're hoping at least that the security arrangements will make it a day to remember for you, at least uh, for positive reasons. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for that message there, Zoe. I'm going to move on now to Danny's message. And Danny will be the last message we're going to read today. He says, I think we should all expect protests and violence on Inauguration Day. The worrying thing is that now that Trump has been banned from mainstream social media websites, his followers have left those platforms and they're now using underground apps like Parler, Gab, MeWe and more. I don't know any of them, sorry. Um, so now those of us who are those of us who aren't ex- extremists don't know what they're planning. We don't know how to prepare because they're planning things away from where we are looking. It's going to be a scary day, hopefully a positive day too. But the news will be dominated by protests and riots and high alert security. Well, thanks for getting in touch there, Danny. And you put across something that we've discussed on the show quite a few times. The idea that banning people from mainstream social media could have two effects. It could stop their messages being spread or it could just take them underground and create an even more galvanised, angry, vitriolic group of people who are more willing to act out upon the things that they're saying online. And um, yeah, we, I said I didn't know um, any of those any of those websites. I think I heard a parlor because I think um, Casey Hopkins, the the racist right wing commentator, um, wet, uh, announced that she was going there after being banned from Twitter. But I heard it shut down now. Um, but like you said, there's lots of other those websites I haven't heard of. But I know that they are underground places where people aren't challenged and their views aren't restricted because there's less censorship on those sites and it's perhaps what twitter was 10 15 years ago but now we know that there is greater censorship on twitter these people are being kicked off and that um almost the smaller more closed off communities where the views are allowed to go unchallenged are increasing the the strength of view and the strength of support from the people who hold those views and i think that it is a scary thing but i do think and i'm gonna finish by saying this that the security this time should, well, I think it will be enough to hold the protests from becoming from becoming able to repeat the scenes we saw last week. And hopefully um, it should be a peaceful transition. And whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're not a violent extremist, you should be happy to see a peaceful transition of power to the democratically elected president of the United States. And I think that's a good place to end this show. I'd like to say that if you've missed any of this show, you can catch up for the next seven days on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk forward slash repeat. Go to the Sunday section, scroll down to three o'clock, I'm there. Uh, Up next is Madeline Molly, but first it's time for the news and the weather. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.